Alright everyone, welcome along to another episode of Martin's World. Guys, before I get into introducing today's guest, I'd like to just remind you that if you want to support the show, support the fight for cannabis legalisation in Ireland, uh, you can sign up to the patreon.com forward slash martinsworld, or you can also make a donation in the form of Bitcoin through the link found on martinsworld.ie. Um, all of the funds will be used to establish a cannabis activist hub here in Cork City to bring together the community so we can be better represented in the fight for cannabis legalisation in Ireland, and uh, so we can hold some kick-ass social events as well. Um, so guys, on with uh, today's interview. It is with uh, Darren White. Darren White is a, a native of New York, and um, he spent the majority of uh, his first 30 years of his life working in a, a variety of military and law enforcement and high-level public service roles, including being named Cabinet Secretary in 1995, of the Department of Public Safety, effectively making him the state's drug czar. Um, the drug czar, if you don't know, it's a, an informal name for the person who directs drug control policies in the state. Um, he was also a two-term Bernanillo uh, County Sheriff um, in the city of Albuquerque, um, and he was also the Albuquerque Public Safety Director. And uh, and after all of that, then uh, he's now a medical cannabis producer. Um, so interestingly, yeah, he, he wasn't always a, a supporter of cannabis and uh, he wasn't a, a too much of a, a believer of the, the medical benefits. And that wasn't until um, he was suggested to try some cannabis uh, because of some chronic pain. He was suffering with um, chronic pain to do with uh, injuries because he, he used to be jumping out of airplanes back in 1985 with the, uh, the military paratroopers. And uh, an injury made him have to, to retire early then. But uh, it wasn't until about 2014, I think he said, uh, 2015, when a friend said uh, to try some medical cannabis uh, to treat his back pain. And um, he was kind of blown away by it, uh, so blown away that he started his own medical cannabis company. Um, in January 2016, um, Pure Life, which is his medical cannabis company, began their efforts with a, a small 3,000 square foot facility. And I, I believe now they, they have over 60,000 square feet, I, I believe, um, for growing cannabis. So uh, they, they've really grown. Pardon the pun. <laughs> um, so guys, on, on with the interview anyway, I give you uh, Darren White. Enjoy, guys. Darren White, uh, welcome along to Martin's World Podcast. It's uh, it's a pleasure to, to have you uh, on the show. Um, you, you've got quite a, a past uh, there, uh, starting off uh, with the, the Airborne, uh, the, the 82nd Airborne Regiment. And um, you, you kind of went on to, to be a, a police officer then afterwards on the beat uh, to be a sergeant and uh, later on in life a sheriff. Um, so quite a, a past, uh, a, a bit of experience there you have uh, and then to end up uh, kind of come full circle into the, uh, the world of medical cannabis then later on. Um, but do tell me a little bit about your, your early beginnings there um, and uh, how does it, you went uh, into the world of being a police officer? Yeah, well, actually, I grew up just outside of New York City. Excellent. And um, I was a, a pretty good baseball player, actually. And so I got a scholarship to play baseball in uh, Texas. Mm -hmm. And so I went out there. And um, unfortunately, Martin, I, uh, I, 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 I was more worried about my batting average than I was my GPA. <laughs> and um, I lost my scholarship. And my father was rather upset with me. And I was trying to get him to help me with uh going to a local school back in new york so i could get back to playing baseball uh and he refused uh because i i really had a gift handed to me to have my school paid for and, and i lost it mm -hmm. and so that was a, a hard lesson learned and so what i did was i joined the military and believe it or not i was able to learn that there was a baseball team 
at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And the only way that I could get to Fort Bragg, North Carolina is if I joined the airborne. And so they said to me, you've got to be willing to jump out of perfectly good airplanes. Mm -hmm. And I said, if it gets me to continue to play baseball, I'll jump out of airplanes. That's dedicated. So I did it. (laughs) And uh, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it very much. But I got hurt, Martin. Um, Mm -hmm. I hurt my Mm -hmm. leg very bad. Jumping out of the planes. And playing ball. And so I went back to Texas because I I really like the warm weather. I tried to play. uh, I, I, I went to North Texas State. I played there for a semester, um, but I, I, I was just too injured. Um, uh, I was an outfielder and, and I wasn't able to recover from it. I grew up around a bunch of New York City police officers and my childhood dream from watching shows like Adam 12 and, uh, and then of course, listening to these uh, war stories as they, I, I've come to know them, um, I just, that is something that I wanted to do. And so I became a Houston police officer. I was living in Texas. And so I became a Houston police officer. My son uh, was born in Houston and his mom didn't want to raise her son, uh, our son in Houston. She was from Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. And so we, I applied to the police department here. And, um, you know, and, and I, I was accepted. And um, one thing that was, for me though, Martin, is that I was raised, my father um, in America, he was a liberal Democrat, very liberal Democrat. And, and I was raised watching, we have what we call those Sunday morning news shows, meet the press, face the nation. And my father really wanted me to become involved in politics. He felt it was important. So as a kid, I grew up watching all of these shows and, and it would, believe me, when I was little, it was kind of torture, um, but it set me on this course to where I got involved in politics. But I needed to wait until I got to Albuquerque. I, you know, got my job going, and so shortly after I was here, got promoted to sergeant. I, I got active in politics. Um, now, much to my father's chagrin, Martin, uh, he was a liberal Democrat, but he always told me, "I want you to keep an open mind, right?" Uh, you know, I want you to decide what it is that you value and what's important to you. I became, when I was in the military, Ronald Reagan was the president. And I'd seen what had happened under President uh, Carter. The military was kind of, it was not in really great shape, but it had gotten better. And so I ended up telling my father, I said, dad, I made up my mind. I'm going to be a Republican. And my father looked at me and he said, I didn't tell you to keep that much of an open mind. <laughs> and I literally, I grew up thinking they were actually called damn Republicans because that's the way my father referred to them. That set my course in politics uh, and law enforcement. Mm. And so um, in 1993, I decided I was going to run for the state house in New Mexico. Okay. I also became very good friends with this construction worker who, uh, contractor, he owned his own company, self-made millionaire. Uh, I, I fell in love with him because he was just, uh, he was a triathlete. Uh, he was outside of the box. He was my generation. He was a conservative and his name was Gary Johnson. Okay. yeah, no, good And no, Gary, uh, obviously is well known now as the first sitting governor uh, in, in our state, in our country rather, who uh, advocated the decriminalization of, of cannabis. Mm-hmm. So 
Gary won. I lost. And so Gary won and I worked on his campaign. I was one of his writers for uh, uh, and policy advisors on crime. And I became his uh, secretary of public safety at 31 years old. Uh, I was the head of the state police, very young. Um, and, and it was tough. It was a challenge, uh, obviously, being that young. Yeah. But I love the job, and I love Gary. And, and that, Gary was real. Go ahead. That, that role is also known as the drugs uh, czar, I suppose, is kind of and what it's all about. my responsibility. I was the drug czar. Absolutely. Czar, yeah. And so, so as that role, um, could you just fill me in a little bit about that? Because I've often heard about it, but I don't uh, in, under, understand it entirely. Yeah. So, so of course, in, in New Mexico, um, we are part of the southwest border with Mexico. And, and for the four states, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and California, share 2,000 miles of border. We estimate that about 75% of all the illegal drugs that come into our country come through the Southwest border. And a large portion of that would come through New Mexico because it was very porous. It wasn't very well protected, very remote. Mm -hmm. uh, Albuquerque and New Mexico became a transshipment point for much of the, the drugs. And so it was important for us to have a very comprehensive drug policy um, because New Mexico is one of the most violent states in, in, in America. And most of it is fueled by uh, drug violence and cartel violence. And so my role as drug czar was, one, I advised the governor on drug policy, but I also sat on a, uh, a panel um, that advised the national drug czar. Uh, from the uh, ONDCP Office of National Drug Control Policy. So I, I you know, make no mistake, Martin, uh, I was a street cop. Um, I was the drug czar and I was a drug warrior. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I, I, I was responsible for enforcing our drug laws. Yeah. So after reelection, though, Gary is reelected in 98. And shortly after that, he tells me that he wants to advocate for the decriminalization of marijuana. And, and I knew, cause I was not only, Gary and I also, he wasn't my boss, Gary was my friend. He got me involved in cycling. I, I cycled once with him 700 miles. Uh, nobody should do that by the way, um, it's not recommended. But we were friends and, um, and, and I worried because we were doing so many good things uh, at the state. And remember we're talking 1998. Yeah, that uh, and now 99. And I was worried that that's what our last four years would be consumed with, that everything that Gary talked about would be framed from. Yeah, but of course, he also wants to he wants to legalize drugs. Yeah. Yeah. He, he said all drugs, wasn't it? It wasn't uh, just cannabis. So, he didn't stop there. It's important, Martin. I did not resign because mm -hmm. Gary, uh, Governor Johnson, wanted to decriminalize marijuana. I was a very at the point at that time, I was a very vocal in that I supported the governor's call to uh, reevaluate our national drug policy as it related to the drug war, because we were failing and we were failing miserably. We were spending billions of dollars trying to control the flow of drugs into our country and we weren't getting it done. And so that I welcomed. The, drug, the, the cannabis, I was open and honest with them. I'm like, that's kind of goes against the grain of what I do, right? Yeah. Um, and then remember, Martin, I also had, um, I also had uh, about 
a thousand people that worked in my agency that were law enforcement officers who were like watching everything I said, yeah. uh, you know, and, and believe me, I was taking a lot of criticism. I stayed in the job. I, I, I did it for a year. And the reason why I left was, and I defended Gary because I kept saying a conversation about national drug policy is important. Um, but then Gary was in a press conference and he was asked the question, it sounds like you support the legalization of all drugs, methamphetamine, cocaine, heroin. And God bless him because he's one of the most honest people I ever met. He went, yeah, I do. And, and, and then I felt like I couldn't stand by his side. And so I needed, it was only fair that I stepped aside. Yeah, um, I, I couldn't stigma and all of that. Of the yeah, I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, yeah. and, it, and at that point, everything we were trying to talk about, it actually came true. It was always, oh, but first of all, of course, Gary just wants to legalize drugs. And so I left and I actually became a news reporter for two years. Um, I became a crime reporter, go figure. Uh, <laughs> but I did it for two years and I enjoyed it for our, uh, our, one of our affiliates here. And I learned a lot about public relations. I learned a lot about how to deal with the media. I got a very good glimpse of what it was like to be behind the microphone asking the questions, set me up for, I ran for sheriff um, and, and I won uh, very easily, probably also because I was on TV every night, uh, but people knew who I was. I won, uh, I ran for reelection, I, I won again. Um, I, I was very involved in President Bush's campaigns. Um, I was actually uh, the chairman of his campaign for New Mexico. Um, I ran for Congress in 1998 because I felt the time was right. Um, you know, <laughs> Martin, in politics, timing is everything. Yeah. Uh, and I'm also a political consultant. I do political consulting, so I should have known better. I might be back uh, and touch yourself for some information. I, I, I've <laughs> thrown my hat into the arena here uh, recently uh, for the, the Irish Dial. Um, yeah. I had a run as an, I ran as an independent uh, here in Cork City. And uh, I actually topped the poll out of the independents that year, and it uh, was my first outing. Uh, I got 291 votes, which was the best for out of five independents running. So I was, uh, I was very happy. <laughs> I had a and you need to do it again. Oh, I would certainly do it again. Yeah. And I, I, rang on, I ran on actually the policy of decriminalizing all drug users and uh, taking a health-led approach uh, to, the, to the drug problem. Because uh, we, we kind of have issues here uh, in, in Ireland, as uh, I don't know if you're aware of it, but there's raids uh, going on day in, day out. Uh, and uh, the most recent one there in Cork City, there was uh, 12 million euro worth of uh, cocaine, um, over 100 kilos of cocaine uh, found on a, on a shipment coming in. And uh, it's, it's just an endless kind of supply. I, I don't know, you've seen it yourself, I suppose, over the years that yeah. uh, it's just raid after raid after raid. And it's just like, like did, did, you ever, did you ever ask yourself, I suppose, when you were doing it, it like, when is this going to end? When, when are the drug dealers going to run out of drugs for us to be composting? Like, They're not. Yeah, that, you know, I will tell you that one of the things when I was a street cop, Martin, um, you know, we would we always said that, you know, we really had decriminalized mm -hmm. cannabis for the most part, because mm -hmm. I know even for myself, I would stop kids all the time, you know, and it's you'd walk up to the car. And I mean, this is literally like a Cheech and Chong movie, right? And you're like, <laughs> what are you guys doing? <laughs> Nothing. Really? <laughs> um, nice try. Um, you'd make them dump it out. You know, it's like I. I didn't care. And I also didn't want to take some kid that was 16, 17 years old and charge him with, you know, a small possession. And I also worked in very busy areas 
I always like that as well. But for many police officers, especially street cops, um, a lot of them would already decriminalize it. They, they make them dump it out. Um, uh, and I know that that still happens today. But, um, you know, Martin, it, it, what we need to, what I've realized um, over the, the, the past decade, we change, right? I mean, we do. Is um, I was, a, 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 you know, for many, many years, I was opposed to gay marriage. Um, I, why? I mean, why did I care? you know but i just felt like you know i'm a conservative and you know uh and then after a while i thought about i'm like why should i tell two people who are in love with each other whether they should have is it really the government's role to say that you love each other and because of that we give you a piece of paper yeah Uh, and so yeah i changed on that i was like that's and so we do uh and i think that that's and we evolve Mm-hmm. Uh, as I like to say, we grow. Um, and so that kind of leads me into, I retired, it was gone. A lot of injuries, um, you know, back surgery, knee replacement surgery, and a hell of a lot of pain uh, from those injuries. And it was a friend of mine who said, one day, I'm, I'm a big MMA fan. I love Conor McGregor. He's my man. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> um, and so, box myself. <laughs> yeah, so in, in Albuquerque, actually, it's this is one of the Jackson's MMA. Yeah, um, the gym. yeah. Right. And so I, and I'm very, very good friends with Greg and oh, uh, we were watching fights together and I had to go home because my in you know, my neck and my back were so sore and somebody offered me cannabis rubs and yeah. I was like, oh, no, 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 I can't do that. Uh, that would be wrong. <laughs> and, uh, and my wife at the time went, shut up. You're not, it's, it's, it's a cream. Mm-hmm. And she's like, nobody's going to kick the door in and arrest you because you were the sheriff and you put a little marijuana cream on your neck. Martin, I will tell you, I was skeptical. I thought it was, you know, I just didn't think it was real yeah. within 30 to 40 minutes. I, I, I literally went from wanting to leave as quick as I could to going, did my, that bothered me a little while ago? Yeah. Um, it worked. And that was just from the rub, the topical on the outside. Here. It was a topical. Yeah. It's strong. It was, you know, it was, it worked. Um, and, and from there, that was my first, like, wow. I gotta say, this somebody that, about four years into medical cannabis being available in uh, in New Mexico at the time was it? That's about uh, this time yeah, you're talking about. It was about about yeah. four years. Yep. About four um, years into it. So, so the program even, was, even, was small, still okay. small. Okay, but even then there was still that stigma and kind of maybe okay. unassuredness. Like, is medical cannabis a myth? Um, like, and until you actually tried it, um, you kind of seen firsthand. Uh, Actually, yeah, where, where's my pain gone? I didn't do anything else other than that cannabis rub. So um, it's, it's, it's a very hard one because there is a lot of, there's a lot of naysayers here in, in Ireland as well who will say this, that uh, medical cannabis, it's a Trojan horse to wider legalization. But unfortunately, it's the, the wider legalization are using the medical argument because they're, they're the people being left out at the moment. Um, because of uh, the whole prohibition around cannabis, uh, that's what's keeping patients uh, from accessing it here in Ireland. Um, so, so I've seen actually recently, it uh, seems wider legalization is coming in uh, New Mexico. There's a bill um, just after being passed to the, to the House floor recently. 
last night. Last, last night, night. Yeah. It's now on the Senate side. It's moving. Excellent. Let me say this, Martin, to anybody that's listening that, that questions it. Remember, I told you my first injury was a very, very horrible injury, and it was in 1984. And I have suffered and I have back surgery in 1996. Um, so I beat the hell out of my body. Mm-hmm. Nobody had problems when I was uh, a law enforcement officer prescribing me a cocktail of painkillers. If I wanted them, nobody would question it, right? All you got to do is look at my x-rays. And, um, and, 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 I remember, and also, uh, I, I, as a political operative, I still run campaigns. I always felt like the whole thing about medical cannabis was just a very clever way. Uh, and I thought it was brilliant, don't get me wrong, but a clever way to try to eventually get to recreational, right? Where if, God, if we can pass it medically. So I did, I really just thought it was kind of, you know, uh, I thought it was more of a, uh, a political play than it was actually based on any type of science. Found out personally that I was wrong. And what upsets me now is I could still walk into a clinic with, and I have, there's so much metal in my leg. It's like a refrigerator when it's cold out. I could walk into a clinic today, Martin, and they would prescribe me some of the most potent painkillers, narcotics. Mm -hmm. These are opiates. But take this little leaf, that right there behind me, and make some cream out of it. Maybe you a vape pen, whatever it is, uh, in the privacy of my own home, and and get the palliative relief that you need. Uh, and and if you don't suffer from chronic pain, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Because there are days when I wake up, when um, you know, you just don't want to move, yeah. um, and. You know, and they're, and then you regret all the things that you've done, and you go, "Why did I do that?" Mm-hmm. But you see, this plant is changing people's lives, and, and there are um, Pure Life, which is our dispensary. It's our our company. Um, we have eight dispensaries, and, and and when we first started, we started on our own. Um, mm-hmm. We have over 150 employees now, but it was us. And so people would walk into dispensaries and they'd recognize me and they would tell me these stories. And I'm going to tell you, Martin, you know, there's so many of them and there's so many of these people and and myself included. Um, I was wrong, man. I was just wrong uh, about cannabis. And I wish I could go back and change that because I questioned people's, um, I question people when they say to me, I smoke it because I'm, you know, whatever. And, and I was wrong. And I regret that because I know from the people that I've talked to and myself, it has changed people's lives for the better. Uh, it is not the devil's lettuce. It, it is not. And we have to move past this stigma. And I get it. Look, Ireland is no different. We're doing these changes at the state level. We're not doing them at the national level. Yeah. Um, and so it's small and it's incremental, but there are over 100,000 people in New Mexico who are registered patients. Um, and, 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 and they are, their quality of life has improved. And, 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 for, and what versus getting hooked on some cocktail 
yeah. of narcotic painkillers, it, it's it, it's no brainer. It's mm -hmm. absolutely a no brainer. But so it's, I, at least give the individual a freedom of choice. It's like uh, when you go to your pain clinic, it's like, oh, we have these cannabis-based medicines or we have these narcotic-based drugs. Uh, oh. which, which do you choose to? And I like let the individual make the choice uh, outside of having to face the stigma and go somewhere else uh, to yeah. get it. It's, also, uh, too, Martin, you know, um, as I said to you, I'm third-generation Irish-American. Um, and my great-grandfather came here from Nina uh, in 1885. And my grandfather um, was a professional prize fighter in Niagara Falls and very successful. Okay. Uh, and he started fighting in 1919. And shortly after that in the United States was prohibition. And my grandfather took his earnings um, and parlayed them into a rather lucrative um, bootlegging operation. <laughs> and he opened oh. up some speakeasies. And then um, shortly after prohibition ended, because they realized that was a failure, <laughs> yes, <laughs> they started fighting over the um, legitimate distributorships mm -hmm. because being my, my grandfather was part of kind of an Irish gang um, and they were trying to control that part of Niagara Falls and the Italian gang was trying to control their part. So a lot of the violence that was associated with the prohibition hadn't really left yet because now everybody was trying to be legitimate. Uh, and in October of 1934, um, my grandfather was murdered. Um, and, and he was murdered as a byproduct of prohibition. Had it never happened, um, my grandfather would have lived uh, hopefully a long life. And so um, I always say that uh, my family, my father who was 10 at the time, he had to move, it became a very bad thing and, and, and so, you know, I always say that I, I'm a I'm a product of a of a crime scene okay. because had my father not moved away, um, he never would have met my mother, and so I understand firsthand as well. Um, you know, not just the, I, I mean, not just the, the from a social perspective, but I also get it from the violence. Um, and, and believe me, being in law enforcement as long as I was, I have seen things that people shouldn't see. Um, yeah, yeah, and for what? For what? Yeah. For a plant. Yeah. I mean, that, for... that's something I bring up here. I do a little 420 news. I kind of cover the uh, the the ongoings of uh, the daily kind of drug raids and stuff of our Gardaí here in Ireland, and I bring it up every time that uh, at any moment our Gardaí could enter the wrong house where the wrong person is there armed with uh, a gun, and uh, the, we could be talking about a, a guard losing his life over a, a little bit of cocaine or a little bit of plant even. And um, whatever the drug might be, it's just uh, for why are we doing this to our our our, uh, our people are out there? Because like even yourself, when you you put on the the badge, the uniform, you you wanted to go out there and make your community safer, but unfortunately, actually by enforcing prohibition, you're kind of being counterproductive to that aim. Yeah, um, and one of the things that we've also done is, you know, um, we are under this impression that a jail cell is capable of shaking someone's addiction. And I'm not talking about cannabis because people don't get addicted to cannabis, but, but on, the, on a, the stronger drugs, the stronger narcotics, we've always operated, well, we'll just lock them up and, and then they'll, they'll see the error of their ways. And first of all, they get as much uh, of the drugs in jail as they yeah. do on the streets. And so basically what we were doing 
um, you know, I refer to it as turnstile justice. We kick them into the system, don't give them any treatment whatsoever, uh, a means to shape that addiction, put them back on the streets and then go, huh, how come they're back in jail? Well, because we, we uh, you know, it, it, it's designed to fail. And so, and, and also I'm somebody, you give somebody the opportunity to make their life better. Um, and we, we can do that with treatment. And, and it doesn't mean that at some time you don't, at some point you don't hold somebody accountable. Uh, it just means that, uh, and again, we need to move away from that structure. We do, but it's not gonna change in America that much, but we had better start investing in treatment uh, for folks who get in trouble because people are still gonna get in trouble, obviously. Um, and most of it has an access to, to, to drug abuse. And so that is one thing I've also become very outspoken about is ensuring that um, a, as we go forward, um, people who do find themselves before a judge, that there is a efficient, effective treatment available uh, so that they can get their lives cleaned up and, and um, be, become functioning members of society. And we just do not do that. No, we, we definitely don't. I think Portugal has made the, the best effort in Europe so far, um, where they kind of make, a, when you get caught with drugs, they, they put you into the health diversion program rather than actually going even in front of a judge. It's a, a kind of a health tribunal, and they determine that and whether you need intervention um, because of your drug use. Um, so it's, it's, it's a nice, uh, it's, it's a much more actual true health-led approach there. You're, you're taking the, the individual into consideration. They're actually meeting them, talking with them. Um, and at that point, they can determine how best to help them. Um, I believe over in Portugal that they do things like uh, if you're an employer and you hire somebody who's had an addiction, um, the government will kind of subsidize the wage there by uh, kind of incentivizing you to employ these people, giving them a, a role back in society because... Uh, I don't know if you're aware of Gabor Mate and uh, his work around addiction. But he talks a, a lot about addiction being uh, the opposite to addiction being a connection. That these people who are addicted actually they're, they're just really absent of connection, um, connection, community, friends, family, um, and we punish them then uh, because of that. Unfortunately, uh, yeah. Well, it'd be my hope at some point uh, that I could I could lend my experience. Uh, as I said, you know, it's my ancestral home. I, I'm very, people that know me know, all everyone knows I'm Irish because uh, I talk about it all the time and I'm very proud of it. And so Excellent. I would love to be able to lend my support um, and then also lend my experience. Um, you know, as somebody, as I said, it, it, you know, I was a drug warrior. Um, I remember one time we were talking early on years ago, probably 25 years ago, the whole debate came up about harm reduction. Mm -hmm. and providing people with clean needles. And I remember at one point I was like, well, then, you know, why don't we just provide serial killers with guns? <laughs> uh, and you know, and when, when I was having a conversation with somebody about yeah. it, I think back about that now and it's like, you know, what, <laughs> where did that even come from? Yeah. Uh, but again, it's, you're indoctrinated in a system, right? Yeah. I, I was, you know, it, this is what I did. Yeah. Um, and I dedicated my life to it. Uh, but now I know, now I realize now it's like, my God, that makes all the sense in the world. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that it, it, it truly is. And that's what we should be. We should be talking about harm reduction yeah. uh, when it, as it relates to, to, to drugs. A and um, just as you said, I think it's very, very important. There's nobody that I know of that's addicted to drugs that would think 
for a second that this is how I want to continue. They, they want that opportunity. They want the, they want the tools to be able to, 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 to rid themselves of that. But as we also know, um, it's, it's incredibly difficult. Uh, I, I'll share an experience with you, Martin. Yep. We have Narcan here um, and we've had it for yep. a while. And I had been on many calls where uh, the person was probably clinically dead um, and the, the paramedics would hit them with the Narcan. And um, probably within minutes, if not seconds of saving their life. And the person would wake up and literally want to fight us mm -hmm. because we destroyed their high. Yeah. And even when you tell them that you were pretty much dead when we got here, um, they were upset because the Narcan obviously reversed um, the effects. That's right, yeah. And that was the other thing that made me think about it as well. It's like, wow. I mean, you basically saved this person's life but that high is so important to them. They're upset that they didn't get to experience the, um, you know, uh, all of their hit or whatever it was. Um, and it just made me think about it. I used to sit there and walk away going, wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, you've affected. But now it's because that's, again, it's the addiction. Yeah. It, it takes over their life. But definitely, I think a lot of these people, they, they, they like that dissociatedness that they're, a lot of them, I suppose, what we're talking about here, uh, down to the depths where they're uh, injecting uh, kind of and being found in overdose conditions. Um, these people are trying to escape something that they don't want to be faced with reality. Next, they get hit with Narcan, the, the opiates kind of uh, wiped off the receptor and uh, they're, they're snapped back to reality. And it's like, oh, no, <laughs> you know, they're, they're not happy. And next, you're in front of them and you're I just saved your life. And you're like, yeah. they would rather be dead. Like a lot of them. You just ruined my high. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. oh, we saved your life. It's like, no, you ruined my high. I'm like, oh my God. Okay. <laughs> but that, but, but it makes, yeah, you, it makes you think about it, right? It, it shows you the depth of it. And it shows you how hard it is to shake that addiction for someone. Yeah, it certainly does. Yeah. It's, it's unfortunate that the, still to this day, even after all these years of having this war on drugs going on, these people still are treated in this way, they're, they're still out there getting their drugs off of uh, drug dealers who are violating them, taking advantage of them, and uh, they're injecting on streets, uh, corners. And we, we've had a, a, a debate here in Ireland going on as the, around supervised uh, drug injection centres. And um, they were supposed to have one established in Dublin in 2019. Um, the HSE put in like this planning application and somebody else within another department of the HSE put in a, a, an objection against it. So the HSE objected against their own planning. It was a nightmare. So there, there's no injection facility there now still. So injecting drug users are still out there not getting the help they need, unfortunately. It'll come, Bill Martin. It, it, will, it will, yeah. And I suppose that, that is, like the, that's a bit off topic, I suppose, a bit from what we're talking about uh, with yourself, because uh, you're here to talk about the, the medical cannabis facility. But uh, I suppose with your, your role uh, as a police officer, you've seen the extent of the, the war on drugs. Um, but in, in that, I suppose, um, as the laws have changed somewhat in America and uh, you've seen laxing of certain states around cannabis laws, how much has changed around uh, Albuquerque and uh, its use as a kind of a, a drug corridor um, into the rest? Has that reduced somewhat now? Are you seeing the changing of the types of drugs now because cannabis, I suppose, is not as lucrative now for the, the dealers? The cartels are still very much involved in 
uh, methamphetamines. Yeah. That's still a huge problem here in the Albuquerque area. Um, as far as it's interesting, mm -hmm. uh, we have had an impact on, on, on cannabis. And, and I think part of it is that, um, and that's one of the white reasons why I think it'll be, it's very important that we pass recreational uh, adult use cannabis. Um, because again, it, it, you know, it, it, the way we grow it, it's engineered so much differently. Um, and most of, the, most of the product that would come out of Mexico uh, is probably seven, 8% THC. God only knows uh, what pesticides that, you know, that they use in the fields. Um, you know, it, it, we grow uh, in our indoor facility. Um, you know, it's like a clean room for a, a you know computer chip manufacturer. Um, and we spent millions of dollars on the facility to make sure that uh, only the finest uh, and highest quality products are made. But it also is, as many people know, um, we uh, much of our uh, different strains uh, can be between 25 and 30% THC. Yeah. And so we have seen an impact from that standpoint. People prefer uh, how it's being grown here versus how it's being grown. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's, it's still a problem. The, uh, Mexico still brings a lot of cannabis into the country, okay. but, but the, the market in the United States uh, and our shift uh, to medical and adult use has clearly impacted um, the cartels uh, in Mexico. It's had an impact on it, and, and and that's a good thing. But unfortunately, you know the, the cartels are not going. You know they're not going to stop doing what they do. Uh, and so we see, uh, you know, obviously methamphetamines right now is something that is a, a huge concern uh, in our community. And it's such a it's it's a horrible drug. It's mm -hmm. such a horrible drug. Um, I was involved in a case 25 years ago. One of the worst cases. Um, that I ever was involved in. Um, and it was a, a father who was uh, strung out on methamphetamines uh, who killed his son because he thought his son um, was the devil. Okay, uh, yeah. The person who was otherwise, uh, you know, before he became addicted to methamphetamines, he was fine. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, but yeah, has it had an impact? Yes. Um, anytime you debate these issues before your legislative body like we are, we are talking about putting in the regulations to control the black market, because what the hell's the sense of doing this if that's not a component of it? Um, if you're not going to try to take the violence um, out of the drug trade, yeah. you know that, that that clearly should be part of what you're trying to do. And I know that our governor in New Mexico and our legislature is very concerned about that. And so, yeah, um, there's no question about it. The medical, we're still a medical state. Mm -hmm. uh, but even in that, with 100,000 patients, we've had an impact on uh, uh, on the Mexican uh, drug trade uh, as it relates to marijuana. Yeah. And your own facility, then, I suppose, your own cannabis production, you've uh, really grown uh, over the years, pardon the pun, but uh, you started uh, with a 3,000 square foot facility and uh, you're now at, uh, I don't know, is it 30,000 or are you at more? Uh, 60,000. 60,000. Okay, so uh -huh. how many cannabis plants is that you're harvesting? I suppose uh, that's a lot, isn't it? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> a lot. Um, you know, obviously we we um, you know we we don't talk a lot about uh, the actual production facilities. They're highly um, obviously coming from a law enforcement background. We spent a lot of time. Mm -hmm. We spent a lot of money uh, yeah. fortifying uh, 
you know, fortifying uh, the facilities. Yeah. Um, but they are uh, my, my partner, uh, Ryan Gomez, um, is a master grower. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is somebody that has really perfected the process. He can grow uh, up to three, four pounds of light. Um, and sorry. so he's very, very good at it. High quality. Very sorry. <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> uh, somebody got his attention. <laughs> Blue, stop. Sorry. Um, and so, um, you know, yes, it's, it's um, uh, you know, again, a lot, a lot of emphasis. You know, one of the things I always said is when we start, when we start, I'm so sorry. He'll stop in one second. Uh, he, he just had to be part of the show, right? Yeah, that's uh, it. Blue, come here. Get over here and stop. You're actually not being a nuisance. Um, you know, I, one of the things that I said is that when you look at the criminal element, right, there's two things that many criminals want. They want drugs and they want money. Mm-hmm. Well, we have both. And, and so it, it made us at higher risk. And so we have really invested a lot in, in not just the protection uh, of our production facilities, but also our dispensaries. Mm-hmm. And um, we started by ourselves, Martin. It was my partner's idea. Originally, he was a firefighter who I knew. And yeah. he came to me because I had done government contracts um, and asked me if I would write it. And at that point, I was like, sure, I'm fine with it. Um, you know, and we've, we've been very successful. As I said, we have eight dispensaries. I remember the first day we opened, it was my son, who's also a partner of mine. We opened our first store and we did in America, it, we did three hundred dollars mm-hmm. that day, and uh, after the day was over, we looked at each other and we went, "Today was a good day." Yeah. <laughs> you know, somebody came in the store, and, um, and so uh, as any business, you know, we we pride ourselves on having you know very very high quality product. Um, we put a lot of time and effort to make sure that we're growing just superior quality, and then as far as our dispensaries. Um, we're very proud of the fact that we have a reputation of having some of the the nicest employees. Um, And look, it's for a lot of people, um, they're coming in for the first time in their life and they're saying, I want to try something different. I don't want to take painkillers anymore. Walk me through this process. Mm -hmm. And it really takes a lot of uh, care and compassion um, and patience because again, Maybe you very much understand all of the aspects of medical cannabis, when, you know, whether it's indica or sativa, what you're using it for, um, they're, they're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that we also have learned is that for many people, they experimented um, or didn't experiment, they just used it yeah. 40 years ago. And as I said, 40 years ago, uh, cannabis was about 7% THC. <laughs> so we remind uh, and caution our patients that uh, cannabis at 25%, um, you know, the old days of passing around a pre-roll and everybody just keep passing it around and passing it around, that day is gone. Because if you just keep passing around 20 to 30%, 25 to 30% THC, um, you're going to find yourself in the bubble real quick. Yeah. And yeah. So, well, if it's your first time, any of, uh, if you have the tolerance up there. <laughs> yeah. And so we're, that's the other part of the caution that we give. Yeah, yeah so. that, that's interesting. So if uh, somebody was to come into you, uh, they, they haven't tried cannabis, I suppose, uh, before at all, that they're completely new to it. 
Um, what kind of uh, products would you have uh, there for, say, somebody who's looking to deal with a, uh, some sort of a chronic pain issue, say, if they have a back pain, let's say? Um, what, would, uh, what would you be like? I would say, you know, like, again, if it's me, I use my own experience. Um, I'm more of an indica person. Yeah. I'm pretty high strung to begin with. And so I don't need, I don't want that kind of that lift that you can receive uh, from a sativa. Yeah. And I use it, uh, sorry. <laughs> and I, obviously for sleep, that's probably the biggest thing is that, um, you know, people, the hardest thing for people with chronic pain is the, um, is sleep. Yeah. And so Indica, um, there are people obviously that during the day, um, if they're looking for pain relief, you know, we talk about, uh, sativas. The other thing that's really important as well, and it's been in my experience is using the edibles. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a time release yeah. and, and it's a little bit slower and it's a little grad more gradual. And so that is important for people again, that maybe haven't used it or never used it. Um, it comes on a little bit slower. It lasts a little bit longer. And so those are all the things that we educate our patients about. Um, you know, we give them booklets. We have full color brochures on, you know, what it is you are dealing with is what is the, um, what is the specific condition you're dealing with for New Mexico. It's primarily, uh, PTSD and chronic pain. Those over 50% yeah. of all of our patients are either one of the two. Okay. Yeah. That, that's interesting. All right. I, I've seen a lot of, uh, been a lot of studies out there looking at uh, cannabis for PTSD, um, and despite what uh, some of the, the addiction specialists might say here, that uh, cannabis will make you suicidal and depressed, actually, what the people with the PTSD finds, no, actually, I, I like a bit of cannabis and to walk out in nature and to refine myself in life again. <laughs> no, um, and I do a radio show here. I host a radio show from one to three, um, and it's political talk. And so I brought up, I mean, everybody knows what I do. Um, but occasionally I get the callers that, you know, it's just like you said, oh my God, you're going to, they're going to be robbing banks before you know it. And zombies walking down. The, but see, that's the old reefer madness mentality. Yeah. And, and um, you know, but I also remind people that in New Mexico, um, you know, we're, it's, it's almost 70%. It's over 70%. Some of the surveys of the people that support recreational adult use cannabis. And of course, medical is even higher. Yeah. And so, you know, there's some people that are just, for whatever reason, they're still hanging on to the past. Um, and, um, you know, they don't, they don't want to let go. And so, and I always say, it's always so funny too, because speaking of um, uh, products that could chill somebody out, yeah. <laughs> uh, it works on dogs too. Don't, don't think it doesn't. Uh, he gets CBD products uh, at times because he's a big dog and he gets aches and pains occasionally. So, uh, yeah. Some of the CBD even works on, 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 on dogs. It's very effective, but that's yeah, the old reefer mentality, the reefer madness mentality that, you know, uh, people are going to, you know, it, it's the, the, I have I, actually, that's that poster that's blind. Um, those are real, Martin. Those are absolutely real. Yeah. Um, you know, and it talks about debauchery and wild orgies uh, and, and reckless abandon, <laughs> Um, and it's, and at first I thought they were fake and then I did some reading and found out they're not, no, they're, um, they're that, those are the scare tactics that they used yeah. and, and, and some people still use them.
Yeah, I, I done a, an honors degree here uh, in, in Ireland in, in herbal science, and uh, I, I pretty much tried to focus on uh, cannabis. Uh, every opportunity I got to do a, a self-guided project, it was cannabis, uh, pharmacology of cannabis, history of cannabis, yep. everything cannabis, and I kind of got a bit ridiculed for it. But uh, yeah. I would meet some of the, uh, the herbalists uh, who are practitioners of uh, herbal medicine in Ireland, and I would question them on cannabis. And uh, even not just recently, the, about two months ago, I, I questioned uh, and a very well-known herbalist there about medical cannabis. And she, she turned around and she's like, but there, there's much better plants uh, to, for me to be dealing with. I, I don't want to talk about cannabis at all. And uh, it, it just really uh, annoys me because uh, it, it's incredibly beneficial and uh, these people are probably the most well-equipped to be talking about herbal medicines and stuff here in Ireland. But unfortunately, it's, uh, it's people like myself. And uh, I, I suppose I got into this because I got caught with cannabis by uh, a person in authority when I was 17. And rather than being brought home to my mom and dad and to be told off, uh, I, I was actually brought to the, the judge. I was given a court case and things like that. And uh, that just set me down the road of activism. I, I kind of uh, started asking questions. Where did this law come from? How did it come about? And um, that led me then to do my actual the, the degree. Um, but we set up, uh, while I was doing my degree in, in college, I set up uh, Students for Sensible Drug Policy. Um, it's, a, it's an organization that originated in America, actually, uh, about 20 years ago. Um, That's right. Yeah, so uh, you're aware of that group, yeah? Mm -hmm. Ah, yeah. good. Yeah, brilliant. A uh, very good group, well run. Uh, it's kind of like worldwide now at this stage. Um, but we we held uh, Reefer Madness events where we would do screenings in our cinema and uh, play the movie and have talks afterwards and uh, oh it was it was so funny. Those like, videos were crazy. So funny. <laughs> like, you see them and you go, my God, even all right, maybe they're seventy years old, but that's still insane. <laughs> you know, it's just but and you still some of it persists today. That's, you know, that's you what you're it. saying. Yeah, that's some yeah. of it still persists today. You're, um, you know, especially we have the debate going on now for adult use. And, um, you know, I'm unfortunate, I'm sad by it, uh, Martin, because I'm still a Republican. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm a conservative. And, and I'm sad because the recreational cannabis bill is probably going to pass. It's, a, it's got a good, good chance this time. And I, and I don't even know if a single Republican will vote for it. Yeah, um, unfortunately. And, 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 you know, and some of the things that I hear, and again, I respect differing opinions. Mm -hmm. I do. Um, but some of the things that I hear about, you know, the addiction and, and, and you know, again, uh, very much a throwback to, you know, all these, oh my God, you know, if the kids are going to start smoking cannabis, you know, look out because the next thing you know, uh, you know, they're going to be in zombie cults killing each other. And, um, and, and, and I'm sorry to hear that I am because I, yeah. I really what I do enjoy uh, because I love the political process. Uh, I love good, robust intellectual debate. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's just so easy to go back to that whole, oh, my God, the kids will go crazy. You know, be prepared for that. Well, that's what's absent here from, from the conversation is a rational debate. It's the prohibitionists are, no, no, we're going to bang on our message of prohibition and we're going to completely avoid any debate. Um, in the Doyle uh, last uh, Thursday, Thursday last week, uh, Gino Kenny, a TD here in Ireland, he put the question to uh, the minister who's in charge of our drug policy um, around the possibility of legalizing cannabis uh, and uh, he was like, absolutely not. And I'm not going to decriminalize it either because decriminalizing it will lead to legalization. And we can't be having that in Ireland at all. 
um, we're going to take a health-led approach to our drug policies. That, that was his response, health-led approach. Uh, and it was it's completely counterproductive to that, as, as you're probably well aware of, of now. Um, yeah, I, no, as I said, it, it'll happen, though. It, I, it, it'll take time. I, from time uh, to time, um, would have uh, people in authority actually watching my show because uh, I, I'm kind of a bit of a thorn in the side of them here. I call protests and uh, demonstrations around uh, the need for legalization. Um, so if there was a person in authority out there who was to be watching my show, maybe they're getting paid to, to keep an eye on me. Um, what would be your message to a person in authority here in Ireland uh, around the, the decriminalization of cannabis or the, the drug? The big thing would be, as I said to you, is that um, there are plenty of stories, people like myself, um, that have suffered over the years. Um, and they looked for something different and the cannabis plant has provided them a better quality of life. Um, and isn't that really from a matter of public policy, isn't that what we want? We want, um, we want to provide people, the other part of it too is, it, it, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm an adult. I can make decisions for myself that I think are beneficial um, without doing harm to someone else. And, and that's the, the big issue for me, is that you're, I, I'm, I use cannabis, um, I use it for sleep, I use it for pain relief. And when I do it, I've never harmed anyone else. I will also tell you this, I have met a ton of experience on the street as well as a, as a patrolman. I also worked in DWI. I've arrested thousands of people for DWI. Martin, I would say to anybody that was listening, ask any person that is in a law enforcement role in Ireland right now, would you much rather deal with somebody who's highly intoxicated or somebody that has used a little bit of cannabis or maybe even high on cannabis? Mm -hmm. If that person says to you, the person that's extremely drunk, they're lying to you. Because the person that I always dealt with, and my, my joke always was, you know, with the person that um, was using cannabis, I tell you, some of the worst fights I ever got into a cop would people were drunk. Um, hello, we all know that. We know that that happens. So, um, but then also, as I said, that that that, but that message is also um, listen to the people. Um, you know, they 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 get it. Mm -hmm. They get it. They're not. They will be so surprised as I was of how many of my friends smoked cannabis but never wanted to tell me until I was sitting at a dispensary selling it. And they started walking in and I went, you smoke cannabis? And I was like, well, we're never gonna tell you, Darren, you're a cop. In fact, you're the, you're the sheriff. And they're like, yeah, I've been smoking it for years. And so they would be surprised no matter who they are and what position of authority they're in, how many people around them tonight are high yeah. and they're doing okay and they're not hurting anyone. Mm. So I would hope that they would understand that. It is not what they think it is. It's just yeah. not. And I suppose you've already said on the, on the show that uh, if you had your time over again, knowing what you know, now you would, you would have done things so much more differently, I suppose. Uh, in your role, uh, even though you said actually you were probably one of the nicer cops, kind of just allowing the kids an opportunity to dump out their cannabis and be afforded that uh, 
chance to kind of change their ways. So if, maybe if I was afforded that opportunity back then, I wouldn't have reacted yeah. as I did. Drug courts help. I mean, drug courts are important. It's a good start. Um, you know, a very, very good start. Mm. Uh, but, you know, and, and I always go back to, as I said, I know I was on both sides of it. You make no question about it. Uh, I was the drug czar for the state. Uh, I was involved in national programs that dealt with um, narcotics interdiction. And, uh, and, and, the, yeah. and I was the biggest skeptic uh, there could possibly be. And, and then I learned, um, you know, and, and some people will say, oh my God, you did it because now you're in the business. Well, uh, the change came first. Um, uh, and, um, but I also think that I bring a great deal of experience uh, with it, not only just because I was a law enforcement officer, because I beat the hell out of myself so bad. Um, and, you know, as I said, if we have a big debate in America still to this day. You cannot smoke cannabis because it's still a schedule one narcotic in the United States. It is no different than heroin or cocaine. Yeah. So technically I'm not supposed to have a gun, right? Well, I'll tell you, Martin, I have more guns than probably somebody should have <laughs> uh, because I like guns. Um, I have assault rifles, whatever you want to call them. I've got pistols because I like them. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody had a problem with it when I was taking uh, prescription narcotics. Nobody said to me, whoa, wait a second. You take prescription narcotics because you're, you know, your leg is destroyed. Yeah. You've had back surgery. You fractured your back. But oh my God, you mean you take a gummy that has THC in it? You better give those guns up. Yeah, And so, as I said, we still have our debates and there is still a lot of room for the United States and the changes are coming at the state level. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe that will be how it eventually in, uh, you know, it, that's where it's driven. It's driven by the state level. It's driven by the local level. It's driven by people like you who are willing to talk about cannabis in a rational intellectual way separate from all of the 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 the, the madness and, and um the the, the 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 lack of any basis in fact um because it's so easy right i mean if you're opposed to it all you're gonna say oh my god is that really what we want our kids to do no we don't i don't want my kids consuming alcohol I don't want my kids consuming cannabis, mm -hmm. but when they're grown adults, um, you know, as I said, my son is a partner of mine. Uh, he, he's involved in it and, and he's a lawyer and he's done really well for me. He's a very smart kid. Uh, I always say that he probably got that from his mom, <laughs> but um, he sat down and we started talking about this. Uh, and we we're talking about cannabis. You know, at one point he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, some of that stuff that we smoked in high school. <laughs> what do you mean that you smoked in high school? And he's like, I know, shocker, dad. I just didn't tell you. Yeah. You were the sheriff, dad. Of course <laughs> I didn't tell you that I smoked cannabis. And he goes, but I did with my friends and I didn't get any trouble. And what did he also say? I didn't hurt anybody either. Mm -hmm. I never hurt anybody. I didn't get behind the wheel of a car intoxicated and and i didn't kill four or five people yeah. because that doesn't happen now we don't want people i'm not saying at all yeah. you don't drive impaired 
You, you don't. If you use cannabis, don't drive. Yep. Um, uh, we, we are very, we very much are going to be involved uh, when adult cannabis comes up in an educational campaign um, about doing it responsibly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't tell you, oh, Martin, in New Mexico, we were one of the leaders in the country um, for alcohol-related fatalities. Oh, really? um, and back when I did that, can't tell you how many people I pulled dead out of, uh, out of a car, mm-hmm. how many kids I pulled dead out of a car uh, because of alcohol. But I never did that and went, oh, my God, those kids must have been smoking pot. Yeah. Um, you know, because they're, as I said, don't, I don't condone it. I'm not trying to condone it. Yeah. I'm just saying that to me, alcohol, um, it, it can be like anything else. If you abuse it, um, it can be bad. Definitely and, and uh, but I, I will tell you, most people that I know, um, I, I, I love reggae music. Mm-hmm. I even actually love reggae music as a cop. And I go to reggae shows. And of course, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, all the time. Actually, I went with a whole bunch of, went with a whole bunch of cops. Oh, no. <laughs> um, and you know, we would joke with each other and go, you know, the whole damn auditorium is high. Yeah. <laughs> um, we most of us were always like worried, like, oh my god, what if we get tested? I mean, are we, we going to get a contact guy here? But um, but you looked around you. Um, and everybody, you know, a lot of people were using, you know, obviously it's a part of the culture. Um, and you look at it and you go, they're not hurting anybody. They're having fun. They're high. They're listening to the music. They're dancing. Now separate that and go into a bar where somebody's drunk off of their butt. Um, and yeah, they could hurt somebody because they become belligerent um you know or, or whatever and so there are differences and, and people should understand that there, there are differences yeah no there, there's definitely big differences and i think ireland would benefit a lot actually if, uh, if we were allowed uh the alternative the, the alcohol um through, through cannabis because uh i've seen a lot of people go back to alcohol from cannabis because uh there, there's no social avenues here for people who uh consume cannabis at the moment uh, you know if, if you consume cannabis in, in Ireland you have to, to kind of just chill out at home and uh, you, you don't have a place where you can go and hang out with people with uh, other like-minded people um, so yeah definitely uh, it would be great to, to see that uh, alternative um, but but with the, the drink driving and uh, the drug driving I suppose uh, there definitely is a need for better education there around uh, driving imp- and impairment yeah. Um, but because currently uh, Ireland has probably one of the lowest uh, tolerable limits for THC in, in all of Europe. I don't know if even all the world, it's it's like one nanogram per milliliter of blood. Um, like, well, what does that mean? Yeah, it's if you were smoking next to me and uh, and I breathed in just a little bit, I, mm-hmm. I would have too much THC in my system, and I, and I wouldn't even ever need to be high. And and our laws actually here di- uh, differentiate that if if I have it in my system, then I could get up to two years. But if I have we're it, we're trying to figure that out, Martin. Yeah, but, but if I have it, my system. I get, asked, I get asked about because we don't have. There is a presumptive level for alcohol mm-hmm. and driving in New Mexico. It's 0.08 percent, and the, the the you're presumed to be intoxicated if you're at that level. Yeah, and, and that is the challenge for cannabis. There's no question because we don't. In fairness, um, and, and I've testified to this. If somebody uses cannabis. I use cannabis last night to sleep and I wake up in the morning. I'm fine. Yep. I mean, I slept and, 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 and I'm fine. 
but I'm still going to have that cannabis in my system. And if I something think- happened um, and I got into a car accident and blood was drawn for me, yeah, I'm, I'm still, I, I, it's in my system. Yeah. But am I impaired? Mm-hmm. And that's what we don't know yet. We do not have enough empirical data like we do with alcohol. And even though you can argue, um, you know, you, you, the presumptive levels even for alcohol used to be higher. Um, and everybody knows that for women, it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, but we've got to, we've got to do a lot of, we, we need to do more study on that so that we can figure that out. So that somebody that maybe used cannabis four or five days ago um, and they have it in their system um, and that was detected, that doesn't mean that they are impaired. And, and that's the important part of it. And we haven't done that yet. We haven't done it in the United States and we sure as hell haven't done it in New Mexico. Okay. Yeah. You don't use uh, roadside impairment. It's uh, you use the, the breathalyzer, I suppose, or the, the drug test. For alcohol. For yes. Us. We do have what we can uh, call, they're called drug recognition experts. Mm-hmm. And they try to, um, again, it's it, a lot of those cases are lost oh, really? uh, because the attorneys can argue just what I said to you. Yeah. They smoked cannabis a week ago. Yeah. Were they, were they, were they impaired by that? No, it's in their system because it could be in their system for up to two weeks. Yep. And so, yeah, we're, we're still working on that. Hasn't been resolved. But the other thing that we also say is if we are using cannabis as responsible adults, yeah, we don't put ourselves in those positions to where something like that could happen. And we yeah. educate, uh, as I said, even with our medical cannabis, we educate people all the time, not yeah. just you know, heavy equipment, uh, you know, don't go, you know, you, you don't use cannabis and decide to go out to the shooting range. Um, and you know, really what it is, it's common sense. Yeah. <laughs> That's true too. Uh, and I suppose just on, uh, on, on the topic of education, uh, you talked a lot about educating uh, the consumers and stuff, but uh, you mentioned you've uh, 150 staff. Um, you mentioned a master grower, but uh, what, what are kind of uh, roles uh, would be filled uh, within that staff? And what kind of education would come with that then or maybe training programs for those different roles? Yeah, um, it's a great question because obviously for years, uh, you know, the program started and uh, we, we, we referred to them as prohibition growers. Okay. And so we got a lot of people that came in and said, I've been growing for a few years. Yeah. And so you, you understand what they said. Um, and so, yeah, we hired them. Of course we did. Um, we do have some regulations in New Mexico. You can have, the, the one thing that you could not have done yeah. is trafficked in drugs, narcotics. Yeah. You can't have been convicted of trafficking narcotics. That will be an issue. Yeah. But, um, you know, possession, mere possession, things like that. The state is okay with that. Okay. And so, yeah, we hire them. But you got to remember, there is a huge difference between growing in your basement and then growing a perpetual grow um, where, you know, you're harvesting, at, you know, at any time, hundreds and hundreds of pounds. And so um, we worked with a consultant in Colorado that had his own business there. Um, he's actually one of our partners as well. And, um, and so we've developed a training program on how to use the techniques that we feel are the most productive for us. And, um, and it's worked out very, very well. And so yeah, there's a, and it's constantly ongoing. We are now transitioning 
uh, to LED lights. And um, so that's a new aspect of it where yeah. we also, we were hand watering before. And mm -hmm. so we're transitioning now into the drip systems, things oh, like nice. that. And so it's always ongoing, right? I yeah. mean, it's always changing. Um, there's always new grow techniques. There's always new strains. Everything is always different. Same thing for the dispensary. Um, you know, when we are looking for, obviously, um, it's no different than if you work for an Apple store or if you want to work for Pure Life. Okay. You got to be friendly. Yeah. I mean, you've got to be patient and you've got to be compassionate. Um, and, and you need to be willing, obviously, to understand cannabis. Um, we don't mandate that they're patients. They, the, the, our employees don't have to be patients. It helps. Yeah. Um, but the same thing, we teach them, um, you know, about the different products. Um, and I can tell you something, it is not hard to hire employees. When mm -hmm. we open up a new store, we'll be opening up a new store within the next month. Excellent. Um, we'll probably have three, 400 people apply for 20 positions. Whoa, geez, that's a high demand, uh, crazy. I think, uh, we want to be in the industry. Yeah, I think I've seen it reported that there's uh, almost 320,000 people uh, across America employed in the, the legal cannabis industry. Um, that was put out by Leafly there the, the other day. Um, yeah, absolutely. No, no question whatsoever about that. Massive uh, number of people. And, and, you know, we anticipate the uh, this year in New Mexico alone, uh, the, the medical cannabis will exceed 200. It, it was actually $207 million. Wow. Uh, the industry. It is now one of the largest uh, industries in New Mexico. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier, there's a uh, hundred thousand patients uh, registered on the, uh, the New Mexico system. And, and what's yep. the population of uh, New Mexico just uh, for two million? Two million. For about 5%. I think it's 5%. Oh, yeah. So 2 million. That's crazy. So in, in, in Ireland, just for comparison, like we, we have 4 million in Ireland and we have 50 people who have access to medical cannabis here. 50, 50. It's <laughs> and Eve two million. It breaks my heart. It, it, it breaks it, my heart, Martin, because I know, as I said, I know how many people uh, can benefit. How many people can have a better quality of life hmm. separate from uh, narcotic painkillers? Um, yeah. I, I know that. I see them not just when I look in the mirror, but also the the people that come into the store. Um, and as I said, it brings tears to my eyes sometimes because I'm emotional about it. Hmm. Uh, part of that emotion was that. Um, I wish that I had realized earlier, you know, I just, um, you know, that this was not a sleight of hand political trick by uh, normal and other organizations uh, to try to get uh, cannabis. They realized they never could get adult use, but medical, medical. could be the answer. <laughs> and I wish I would have realized that. I wish I would have had a better open mind about it. Um, and and I, as I said, I do now. And I wish that for Ireland. As I said, I, I you know, I am somebody that, um, you know, I have a, I, I have a deep sense of connection uh, to Ireland um, and it's something I'm very proud of. And um, I, I, anything that I can do personally uh, by sharing my experience with you and others, uh, whether that means testifying, I, I'd be willing to do that. Um, because again, I don't, I, it's not just a person that comes from the perspective of uh, law enforcement um but also political i get it there's a lot of people that um it's very it's it, it's hard for us we become so uh you know we become so entrenched in our beliefs and, and we think that it's a sign of weakness 
if we should ever say, well, I'm against cannabis and then go, well, now I'm not, uh, that that's somehow a reflection of weakness on your part. Well, we should all change. We should all be willing to recognize like the voter, like the people in New Mexico, 20 years ago, half of the people in this state didn't agree with medical cannabis, let alone recreational. Now it's 70. Um, and, you know, and so it, they, you'll get there, man, you'll yeah. get there. And, and, I, and I hope and I pray, I do, because I, I, I understand, um, you know, and it's not just the people with the, um, you know, the chronic pain and the PTSD, it's those children who suffer from those seizures. Um, you know, there's so much um, good that comes from it. And, and it sure as hell outweighs anything that could be considered the bad from it. Sorry. And regulate it and, and tax it. Um, you know, it, it's, we're used to that. Mm-hmm. We get it. Um, and, and, and I think once you get past that, I said from your, your political leaders, it'll take some time working with them uh, to understand that it's, it's not a sign. As I said, I, I wish it didn't take me as long. Um, you know, I still meet with Gary kind of coming full circle. I meet with Gary once in a while and he laughs at me and he says, you know, if you only would have listened to me. And, uh, you know, I, I'm one of those people that says, you know, not that I told you so, but, um, but, yeah. but Gary was right. Gary was absolutely right. He saw it. Um, he recognized it for what it was. Um, it was part of the libertarian blood in his DNA, yeah. um, which is something that is important to me now too. Um, but, but my indoctrinate, I was indoctrinated as a cop and it was just hard for me to move past that. Yeah. Uh, it would be tough to be, not to be uh, kind of indoctrinated by that stuff really. Um, yeah. And I suppose even given uh, your, your, uh, kind of a lineage there with your grandfather i suppose maybe there was kind of a, a knock-on effect there maybe uh um against kind of drugs and the family because of the, the murder of uh, your grandfather um and to, to do with the the feuding i suppose going on with the, the drugs trade even though it would have been alcohol but it's still a drugs trade yeah no and i didn't even learn about my grandfather until after my father died okay I hurt him so bad um uh, that you know again he was 10 years old he Just lost his him. hero yeah um you know and so i learned about it afterwards and so um you're right again you you recognize um and you look back and you it's hard to even imagine in america uh that we at one point you couldn't sell alcohol mm-hmm. um that's hard to even imagine yeah i'm um, trying to do that today <laughs> you don't get away exactly. with it. <laughs> but Martin, that's the point though there'll yeah. be a in 20 years, 30 years, we'll look back and go, what was all that? What was everybody so emotional about? Uh, And and I just hope that, you know, we, we, and I say we, because I believe those of us in the industry have a responsibility, not just for our communities as well. Um, If you truly understand and know the benefit uh, and the quality of life that people um, experience from this, then, then those of us in the industry, we have an obligation, I feel, and a moral responsibility uh, to help other countries as well. And, um, you know, because again, it's not, you know, the, the cannabis isn't any different here than it is in Ireland or anywhere else. It, it, it has incredible uh, medicinal value to it. Um, 
I know a lot of people that work very, very hard at their jobs. And they like to go home at night and they sometimes drink a glass of wine uh, or maybe have a beer. Uh, and they do that to, to relax a little bit and unwind. Yeah. And, and I think we'll get to that point where it, it's not looked at uh, or frowned upon uh, or looked at anything other uh, different than when somebody goes home and says, you know, I'm going to have a gummy bear or I'm going to hit my vape pen or whatever it is, because I, I've worked hard. Uh, I'm a responsible person and I just, I want to take it easy and relax. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, uh, we'll get there. We will. Yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, that the, I definitely see time uh, is coming here. Uh, while you have a bill that's going to be passed uh, very soon in Mexico, uh, Ireland has a bill going forward in uh, June or July, uh, and it's going to be a cannabis control and regulation bill. Um, there, there's not much optimism there that it will be received very well, but uh, I'm hoping I can kind of stir up a bit of momentum there within the community of uh, of kind of supporters, activists out there, and uh, to get get the line, uh, the, the bill supported and get it across the line. Um, but I suppose on the, the bill um, and your own facility, and uh, I, I'm aware, sorry, if, uh, if I'm keeping you any longer than uh, that You're I could get you. Blue's okay too. Brilliant. <laughs> Thanks, Blue, for hanging in there. <laughs> um, if this bill is to be passed, um, what, what does that mean for yourselves? Because um, you, you were mentioning earlier that your facility, it's like very high end, almost like a clean room environment where they make computer chips and pharmaceuticals. Um, but if uh, recreational cannabis uh, was to be uh voted in in new mexico um and you were to get into that market then would that change the the standards of uh, your facilities have to be kept because then you wouldn't be producing what's seen as a medicine or yeah, not the standards not the standards the techniques still, yeah the techniques yeah <laughs> because we would um again we pride ourselves on on the quality of the product mm -hmm. um and again you're you know we you're putting this in your, in your body yeah uh, and so yeah we, we want to make sure that um you know, we maintain the, the, those standards and those protocols that that have been so successful for us. Yeah. What will what will be different is uh, we grow because we have a plant count under the medical program, and so we tend to grow very very big plants. Um, we use techniques. We give them more square footage. We yeah. give them more opportunity to grow. We use nutrients they're called advanced nutrients they're some of the best in the world but they're very expensive yeah i know <laughs> uh, so what's that i know <laughs> yeah they are. They're very advanced nutrients especially in a facility as big as ours and i and i'm the person that writes the checks oh um it's so yeah <laughs> but it, it so what we would do is and i'm not saying we'd give up advanced or anything but we would go to um a system where we grow those bigger giant monsters, probably to where we would do more sea of green. Okay. Uh, because obviously with adult use, we're gonna see uh, the, the demand increase exponentially. And so we have to take, and we'll, we'll grow, we'll, we'll be probably looking at other facilities, uh, probably using some more outdoor uh, greenhouses. And again, also going to the drip system, things yeah. like that, but giving each plant a smaller footprint mm -hmm. and um, and flipping them more so that the perpetual grow um, is uh, a lot more continuous. Nice. So we're able to keep up. We have 1,715 plants that we're allowed to grow currently. And um, 
you know, we, we, and as I said, that technique is, you know, we grow them as big as we possibly can to make sure the yields um, help us. We have to feed eight stores. And so it's important for us uh, to be able to, to, to do that through the grow techniques that we use. So the biggest difference would be um, we'd grow more plants, but smaller plants. More but smaller. Okay, that, that'd be interesting. And uh, in, in terms of uh, employees, then if, if that bill was to pass, uh, would you see maybe a doubling of, uh, of your employee force uh, there to, to meet that? Uh, triple. Triple even. Wow. That, that's what uh, the, the wider adult market would mean. At some point, we, you know, we uh, putting just together some of our basic plans, um, if we were to do this and go through with it, um, we anticipate that we would probably have uh, 500 employees. Wow, geez, that would be an incredible uh, thing to be able to yeah. do for, for you. And, and again, that's what we always talk about. It's not, it's not your grandpa's weed. Um, you know, it's a very labor-intensive process when you're doing it commercially. Um, you know, you just don't stick them in a room and turn the lights on for uh, 18 hours a day and, you know, poke and hope. Uh, yeah. You know, we touch them every day, you bend them every day, we water them by hand. Um, you know, these things are so, I, I, I'm in shock sometimes when I hear the things that they do them because they, to them because they're so temper, temperamental. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, but yeah, as, as anybody knows, they, um, that grows, they're, they're constantly bending them. Um, they're constantly pruning them. They're, it, we put hands on every one of our plants every single day and sometimes numerous times a day. And so it's labor intensive. And um, so, yeah, we anticipate that uh, obviously the, the number of grow employees will increase in our cultivation centers, but also our dispensaries as well. We have eight dispensaries now. Um, our goal is to, uh, is to get to 20 uh, within the next 18 months. 18 months, well, well that's a nice ambitious uh, thing. It's, it's a pretty rapid uh, uh, you know, build out. There's no yeah. question. Brilliant. Well, uh, I, I don't have any more questions for you at the moment, Darren, and uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to get to, to sit and chat with you. Um, do you have anything else uh, you'd like to add in um, uh, yourself? Keep anything? the faith, darling. Keep the Keep faith. <laughs> Keep it's the coming. Like I said, it's a, it, 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 um, you know, again, when we look at nationally, you know, it is still a schedule one narcotic, mm-hmm. but the states were able to take the lead uh, and many in our uh, in Congress in Washington now um, have recognized that the states have done it. They've done it responsibly, um, and they've done it well. And we also, as conservatives, right? I go back to my whole thing about being a Republican conservative. We believe in states' rights, and so uh, I support the federal government whenever they do move forward uh, and, and at least um, you know make it Schedule Two. Um, that they allowed the states, let the states' rights prevail. They were the ones that did this under the threat of prosecution. Many of the early in California, in Colorado, and some of the real pioneers, it was difficult. It was very difficult um, because the federal government just did not want anything to do with the states having, uh, but then they think kind of after a while, they were like, the hell with it. And, and so my hope is that, you know, we will do that that way, but then also recognize it's activists like you, Martin, that, um, and, and people, everyday people, uh, it, we are a representative form of government. 
mm-hmm. and, and the and we are the we are the way that things change, yeah. and, and and you have to stay active, uh, but you also have to do is um, educate. You have to educate people. You'd be surprised. I, I don't know what your public opinion surveys are, um, but it's changing because because people. Um, you know, it, it, they recognize, like me again, sitting in that dispensary mm-hmm. for the first time, watching law enforcement officers that I had worked with for years walk in and go, oh, I guess, shut up, Darren, I just never told you. Um, and so, uh, but I respected that, um, again, because I realized why, I, I completely realized. Um, and believe me, for law enforcement officers, the PTSD aspect of it, um, you, can't, you, you, you can't stress that enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as I said, we, um, we see things that people should not see. And unfortunately that never leaves you. Um, you know, even when I drive around Albuquerque to this day, yeah. um, I'll drive past, bypass places and I'll, I'll remember, um, those horrible images they are etched in your mind. Yeah. And, well, that's one thing I say about our law enforcement is as much as I dislike them here in Ireland for what they, they do against me, I've, I've a lot of respect for them for the job that they do because yeah. the they do have to do some like pretty unthinkable things like that. Uh, there, there's no sum of money yeah. justifies uh, like yeah. seeing, as you say, young bodies and, and cares and uh, I like yeah. And as I, I do said, have a lot of respect for them still. Yeah, and as I said to Martin, I, I I'd be willing to lend that hand in any way that I can. I would would be willing to come there. Um, I I need to come at some point and visit Nina anyway. Um, you know my yeah. ancestral homeland, um, but I would be honored to be able to come and share my experiences. And most, and hopefully, um, you know, as, as far as some of the law enforcement leaders and the political leaders, maybe ease some of their fears um, so that they recognize um, it, it's not, it, 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 it's worked in America. It has absolutely worked in America because at the end of the day, you know, we, we're responsible and, and we're not going to do something. Uh, We'll, we'll, we'll do it right. Yeah. That's the thing. Um, and we don't always need the government to hold our hand in, in everything that we do. And with that, I'll leave you with this. Blue is finally asleep. Oh, passing on. He finally passed out. <laughs> we talked years off him. <laughs> Again, as I said, it's, uh, you know, Ireland is important to me. It's in my DNA. Uh, it'll always be in my DNA. And if I can share my experiences, I'd be honored to do that. Brilliant. Thanks again, Darren. And there you go, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that interview there with Darren White. It was great to have him on and to, to get to pick the brain of a, of a man who used to be a sheriff. And uh, yeah, no, he's grown his own cannabis for, for patients all over the state of uh, New Mexico. So uh, fair play to Darren. Wish him the best of luck with uh, Pure Life as, uh, as New Mexico now looks to legalize cannabis for wider adult use. So no, no doubt his uh, company will continue to grow. Hey, <laughs> um, So guys, uh, as I said, look, uh, I hope you enjoyed that. And if you want to support the show, support the fight for cannabis legalization in Ireland, uh, don't forget you can sign up to the patreon.com forward slash Martin's World, or you can also make a donation in the form of Bitcoin through a link found on martinsworld.ie. So guys, until next time, keep her lit and stay blazed. Much love. Peace.